Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Today it's great to see you. Welcome to Peckway Church. Let's worship the Lord. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. And see what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. Yes, he has done great things. Oh, he heaven you conquered the grave you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done Faithful, let's sing that. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. Yes, you will do great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, and shake of all. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Let's sing it, worshiping Him. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. You've done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. 
you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high Go ahead and have a seat. So great again to see you all here today. Thanks for coming out and worshiping with us here. It's always a, an honor and a privilege to, to be here worshiping with you. Uh, inside of your bulletin this morning is a great connection card. I'm going to invite you to take that out online. You're going to have a connect link in your chat window. Um, but this is simply a way that we can keep in touch, let you know about anything that's going on here at Peckway Church, open that line of communication so that we can uh, share things with one another, ask questions and comments, um, but also pray. On the back of this card is a box there, and uh, we love to partner with you and to pray with you about the things that are going on in your lives and uh, your family's lives, and we we don't publicize that. That goes to the staff, or you can also have a small group of people that, uh, that we trust to help pray along with that as well. Or you can have the whole church body do that. Uh, but you can do that here with that card in your bulletin or online. You could do that through the Connect link as well. Um, but it's always a privilege for us to be able to do that with you. Last week, we were talking, we just sang a song about great things. And we had a great thing last week, right? If you were here for the, for the concert, we had a great time with Ben Fuller. And he really ministered and did some ministry uh, with folks. I saw him praying with folks out in the hallway and just talking and loving on people. He's a hugger right? Did you, did you hug him? He, uh, he, he liked to hug. And so, but you know, uh, you might not have gotten the opportunity to be here. And so I'm going to be giving away today in our service, a signed copy of Ben's album. You see it there on the screen. Um, but we're going to do that today. And so you can put on the card, just write CD on that green card, or you can put that in your connect link there. If you've already filled it out, just do it again and we'll make sure your name's in there. Or you can put it in the chat window and uh, we'll get that, your name, uh, put in the hat for that drawing. So, But I would love to give that away to you as a way of ministering to you. And last week, we recorded it, so you can also go on our website and you can watch the full concert there as well. Well, we are talking about doing family, and so today we're continuing that series, and I'm looking forward to us uh, having this message today. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Gideon, and many times I can kind of, you know, I... I I empathize with Gideon because how many of us have fear? You have fear about things in your life. And so, um, but we're going to look at Gideon's life and see uh, a pattern. We're going to talk about, I'm not going to give the message away. Chris is going to preach the message. I'll let him do that. But, um, but one of the things he's going to talk about is fear. And that's something that Gideon faced. And so we're going to sing a song about that this morning. And 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out fear. And so when we stand in God's love, when we stand in the love of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid because his love, it, there's no shadows with that. He pummels fear. And so let's stand this morning as we celebrate that, singing it together, worshiping him as we stand in his love. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When 
sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love And shame no longer has a place to hide I'm not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind Cause I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Standing in your love. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. Sing it again, my fear. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. standing in his love, we can be secure. He is our fortress, our rock. He's a tower that we can run to. So if you know him, if you know that today, would you sing this as your testimony that it is well with your soul? So 
and far be it from me to not believe even when my eyes can't see and this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea and through it all through it all my eyes are on you and through it all through it all it is well through it all through it all my eyes are on you and it is
Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can have confidence to come before your throne today, but not just today, but every day, because of, uh, Lord, the relationship that we can have with you. And Lord, as we've sang this song today, as uh, Lord, some of us have declared the confidence that we have in you. Maybe there's others here that don't have that confidence today, that they're maybe struggling with their relationship with you or even struggling to believe in you, Father. And so today, as we uh, look into your word, uh, would you continue stirring hearts uh, as we come and as we look uh, at your words, Father, for how to do family well, Lord, and uh, we think about the great things that you've done, we can look at the history of how you've never failed, God, and your perfect love that casts out fear. So, Lord, as we step into this moment, may those fears that we prayed about today be subsided, and may we come into your presence, Father, with hungry hearts and eager ears to hear, and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Scott, and thank you, worship team. Good morning, family. It's great to be with all of you this morning. Uh, it's a privilege and honor to uh, continue the series, Doing Family, and today, as Scott has pointed out, I've titled today's message, Dealing with Family Patterns, and our main text today is going to be from Judges chapter 6, and so uh, if you like to use the, the sermon notes, go ahead and pull those out or open your Bible to Judges chapter 6. We're going to read that passage um, in a little bit, but uh, go ahead and, and open up there and get ready for that. I'd like to begin with uh, just a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that we get to be here worshiping you this morning, lifting up your name, praising you for who you are and for all that you have done. And Father, I just pray for us as a church, everyone seated in this place and those watching online, that you would just touch our hearts and our minds this morning, that you would touch our ears and open them so that we may hear your voice and what you want to say to us through your words this morning. And I pray for myself, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing Unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I remember as a teenager um, more than once saying something along these lines. I will never be like my parents. Sound familiar? I will never be like that. But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? In reality... We don't get to choose the family we were born into. We don't get to choose our parents, our siblings, our birth order. We also don't get to choose the, the patterns of belief and the patterns of behavior that are passed on to us. But whether we realize it or not, these things do have an impact, not only on our lives personally, but also on the lives of those who are closest to us. I remember one of my seminary professors from years ago saying to us, our family of origin is usually a source of many of our greatest strengths and sorrows in life. And one of the things I 
love and appreciate most about the scriptures is the, the often stunning reality of the inspired stories that God has passed down to us. When we really look at the scriptures, God doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't clean anything up before passing it on to us. We get raw, Holy Spirit-inspired reality. We get real people with real issues just like us. Or maybe I should say just like me. But the beauty in this is that God continually reminds us that he is at work in and through flawed people and families. And I want to begin here by going to uh, the book of Genesis, actually. And I just want to point out one of these real, raw, Holy Spirit-inspired scriptural pieces that point, to, point us to this issue specifically of, of family patterns. Because in the book of Genesis, we see a family pattern that begins with Abraham and Sarah and goes four generations deep. And it's the pattern of the favorite child. And the first time, as I said, the first time we see this is in the life of Sarah and Abraham. And of course, as I share this, I'm just using this as uh, an illustration for us to kind of get us rolling here. But uh, as I share this, just know that these, each of these instances in the book of Genesis are, we could spend a week just, you know, studying each of these stories. So I'm just kind of brushing over it quickly. But however, we have Sarah and Abraham, and Scripture reveals to us that, that they favor Isaac, the child of the covenant, the promised child that God told them that he would give them, over Ishmael the son that they brought about by their own means, outside of God's will. In Genesis 21, verses 9 and 10, give us a glimpse into that. We're told, But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The first instance of the favorite child. But then, just as Isaac was the favorite child, Genesis reveals to us that Isaac himself then lives this pattern out in the life of his family. We see actually that Isaac favors his son Esau, while Rebekah favors their son Jacob. In verse 28 of Genesis 25, it just simply tells us, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And one of the ways this is played out in that particular family is, as we know from the book of Genesis, when um, they were born, they were twins, and they were jostling in the womb, and they were even jostling and fighting for position when they were born. And we're told that Esau came out first, and Jacob, what we were told according to Scripture, came out grasping at, at Esau's heel. And they've been battling ever since that moment. And we know that uh, um, even when they were older, uh, and, and Isaac began to lose his eyesight, um, in, in that day and age, it was common for um, the oldest child, the oldest son, to receive 
the inheritance or, or the larger portion of the blessing of the inheritance from the, the father. And so that would have rightly gone to Esau because he was the one who was born first. And so I see the firstborn among us going, yes, right? But um, this family pattern kind of messes things up. Because Rebecca, who loved uh, Jacob more than Esau, knew that Esau was about to receive the blessing, so she called her son Jacob in and, and said, I want you to put on this garment of animal hair, and I want you to go in, pre- cook this food for your father, and go in to your father and pretend to be your older brother, and you will receive the, the blessing. And he does that. And the story goes on to tell us how these two brothers um, really destroyed their relationship as a result of that. And in the passage of Genesis, it, it covers many years. And we see, though, that Jacob then, this continues, and Jacob favors his son Joseph. In Genesis 33, verses 1 and 2, it tells us this. Jacob looked up and there was Esau. So this is years later when Jacob is, is returning uh, to seek reconciliation with his brother. This is after uh, he, he wrestles on the banks of the Jabbok with God and receives the new name Israel. He receives a blessing from God that Pastor Jerry preached on that passage uh, a few weeks back. And it's, it says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. So did you catch what's going on there? He favors his youngest son, Joseph, and he even has his favorite wife, Rachel, and so he has no idea how Esau's going to respond to his return. It's very well that as he returns, Esau could come out with with hundreds of men and and swords drawn. And so what he does is he puts the the slave women and their children first in line. Then he puts Leah and the children they had together next. And at the end, he puts Rachel and Joseph. Why? Because if Esau comes back mad and angry and starts to attack them, it's an opportunity for his favorite wife and his favorite child to hopefully escape. Another example of the favorite child. Again, verse 37, or chapter 37, verse 3, it just spells it out in plain language for us. Now Israel, who was Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. And again, we know how, how that story goes for Joseph. His brothers get jealous, sell him to a, a caravan traveling by on their way to Egypt, and then they go home and say, Dad, we're so sorry, but your favorite son was, was killed by a wild animal. But we know, and this is a sermon for another day, we know how God uses all of that to save the nation of Israel. But I share that this morning just to, to again point out to us that, that Scripture 
clearly points out to us that there are these things called family patterns. And this one particularly was the the favorite child pattern. Many of us may have grown up with with family issues such as um, the scapegoat. Or maybe maybe you or somebody in your family plays um, mission control. Everybody communicates through you rather than communicating to one another, right? These are examples of family patterns. But what does all of this mean for us? How are we to live in light of this? Well, if something is in motion, I'm not a scientist, but if something is in motion, and it has been for some time, it builds momentum. And let's say I'm riding a bicycle, and I, I crank the pedals, and I'm picking up speed, and I'm gaining momentum, what would happen if, for some unwise reason, I would say, well, here's a stick, let me jam it in the front wheel? It wouldn't be pretty, would it? I would end up on the ground, the bike would flip, I would bring that momentum to a sudden end. Now, this may be a sort of comical way of of addressing this, but... When we want to deal with family patterns on some level, it could be as if we are jamming a stick into the spokes of our front wheel. And when we do this, we begin by acknowledging that these patterns exist. I think that's primarily where it all begins. We must recognize these patterns for what they are and then subsequently process them and and deal with them accordingly, appropriately. And I want to mention that these patterns can be positive. They can be blessings too. I'm kind of, the example I gave from Genesis is is kind of negative and it might sound that we're we're talking about this from a negative uh, perspective, but I want us to remember that these patterns can be, be blessings as well. However, there are, in my 20 years of, of ministry, sitting in, in the, my, my pastor's study, um, meeting with people, either individuals or, or even uh, couples or, or families, um, sometimes it, it has not been uncommon for us to be discussing something along these lines, but it would come to a sudden halt because of this concern of what I would call family loyalty. When we want to address patterns like this, for some some of us, sometimes it can feel like we're bashing our family. It can feel like maybe we're talking bad about somebody, a parent or a sibling or an aunt or an uncle. But I want to just encourage us and remind us that although it may feel like that, that is indeed not the case. And another aspect to this is um, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I don't, I don't think it's healthy to, to go back to the past. Just let sleeping dogs lie, so to speak. Well, if we live in the past, that, that would be unhealthy. Just as on the other end of that spectrum, if, if we just ignored the past entirely and only focused on, on the future, that has a, a level of unhealth to it as well. But I believe as Christians, we are called to embrace life that is full of tension. 
We may often try to avoid tension because it might make us feel uncomfortable, but we need to learn to live in the middle of of both of those aspects. We don't live in the past and we don't live solely in the future, but sometimes we need to visit the past in order to deal with it so we can healthily move forward. Friends, this, this is discipleship. This is a life of following Jesus. A life of going deeper. And it's a life that is full of tension. And so we begin, as I said, by acknowledging that these patterns exist. And then we need to take action in regard to this. And this includes taking responsibility for our role in these patterns, either directly or indirectly. Because these these patterns... We may see them and never address them, and then that means we have an indirect role in allowing these patterns to persist. Or maybe on the other hand, maybe we're the one who is carrying out the pattern. Maybe we are the ones that are demonstrating it in our attitudes and our actions. Either way, we need to deal with it. And I want to remind us this morning, friends, that that we, God has given us the power of choice. We can choose to either make excuses or we can choose to work towards setting new patterns and creating new healthy boundaries for us and our families. I want to just give a a very brief snapshot into how this has played out in in my own life. Because if you were to uh, look at Um, a family tree of my family, you would see, going back generations, a pattern of alcoholism, particularly on my father's side. My father struggled, struggled with alcohol. His father struggled with alcohol. His father's father struggled with alcohol. And guess what I started experiencing in my life in the early days? Struggles with alcohol. When I came to Christ... In my early 20s, a friend gifted me a Bible, and I didn't know where to begin reading. Most people begin with one of the Gospels. I just opened up to the middle and started reading the book of Proverbs, right? Yeah, who, who starts there? But I think that was God's sovereignty, because when I got to Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, a person who's led astray by them is not wise. And in that moment, I had a Holy Spirit encounter. Now, I know God doesn't work like this with everybody all the time. He works different ways in different people's lives. But for me, in that moment, I had, like I said, a Holy Spirit encounter where he removed any desire for alcohol in that instance. That's over 20 years ago. I've only had alcohol one time since then, and that was when I was in Haiti worshiping at a church, and they used real wine at communion. So I did have a thimble of of wine at one point. Aside from that, I had no alcohol since then. And I'll skip over a lot of details, but I saw God do the exact same thing in the life of my father as well. And part of that was God working through transforming me to then eventually transform my father. And that meant I had a choice to make. 
I could either choose to just let my dad continue to be my dad, or I could choose to have real, loving, honest conversations with my dad. Now, I'm not responsible, I wasn't responsible for how he would respond to those conversations. We're not the saviors, that's God's job. But I chose to sit down and have real conversations, tear-filled conversations, with my wife present at the time and my mom present at the time. And I can tell you that my relationship with my father now is the best it's ever been. And that's the transforming power of God. And that comes when we acknowledge these patterns exist and we take action. We lean into the grace and love and mercy of God. We lean into the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's not just about sin management. It's about transformation. And we experience redemption and walk in it. Now let's get to the example of Gideon, because I believe this is a a great example for us about what this process can look like. Picking it up in Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 32, that same night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did just as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So Gideon broke down Baal's altar, and they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now, Similarly, as we've been talking about, Gideon, kind of by God's direction, shows us what this process looks like. The first thing Gideon does is tear down old patterns. Look at verse 25 again. We're told that same night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Asherah was another uh, false god that the Israelites were prone to worship. And so God is telling Gideon here, tear down these old patterns that are holding your family in bondage. Tear them down. And then God says, rebuild new patterns. Verse 26 Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God 
on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. I love that language. Build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. And I love how it's connected to this language of offering. An offering isn't just, in this case, a bull. An offering isn't just our our finances. In this case, an offering is our lives of obedience. When we obey God and live into what he's calling us to, that is received by God as an offering to him. Thirdly, We need to remember that rebuilding is a community project. I love this first part of verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Gideon didn't do it by himself. Friends, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself. The life of faith is a life lived in community with other brothers and sisters. That's that life of discipleship, that life of following after Christ. We need the accountability of others. We need the support of others. Why? Because the fourth point, rebuilding is hard work. Rebuilding is hard work. We're told that Gideon had some uh, things he had to deal with in this process. And as Scott mentioned during the the, uh, music part of our worship this morning, there, there was an issue of fear. And as we know, fear often holds us back. Something I've always told my daughters every night since they were young is, don't be afraid of failing, be afraid of not trying. Follow Jesus wherever he leads you, and don't be afraid of failing, be afraid of not trying, because fear can hold us back. Fear could have held Gideon back from tearing down the old patterns and rebuilding new patterns. Look at the rest of verse 27. But because he was afraid of his family and his townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Fear was a very real thing for Gideon. He still was obedient... He did it at night rather than in the daytime, but he also did it with a community of brothers. And I guarantee you, when you begin to tear down old patterns and rebuild new patterns, just like Gideon here, we will experience discouragement from others. And discouragement can also be something that holds us back like fear. Look at verses 28 and 29. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And then if we were to continue on, we were told that the the crowd was incensed. The crowd was agitated. Henry Cloud, Christian psychologist, often reminds us that whenever we seek to set healthy boundaries in our lives, we can experience pushback from people. Are we going to allow that pushback to hold us back? 
Or are we going to obediently follow Jesus in the face of what could be discouragement? Friends, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. God wants to transform you and your family. He wants to transform you and your family. He's in the business of transforming whole communities. Our faith is not just an individual thing, it's a communal thing. And so I want to remind us this morning that that God is calling us to come out from fearful hiding. You know, when, when we're introduced to Gideon, he's in fearful hiding. Look at verses 11 and 12 um, of Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. That's Gideon's dad. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, what's going on here? The Midianites are attacking. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, which meant he would have been in, there would have been walls around, there would have been a hole in the ground where they would normally press uh, the grapes to, to create the wine. And Gideon is hiding in there, threshing wheat, because he's afraid, and he, he doesn't want the, the Midianites to either burn the wheat crop or to steal it for themselves. He's doing this in fear. But when God shows up, he sends the angel of the Lord, I love what the angel of the Lord says to him. Because here he is in the wine press, hiding. But the angel of the Lord says, hello, mighty warrior. What? Friends, come out of fearful hiding. God sees each and every one of you as a mighty warrior in Christ. It's not, can I do this? It's, yes, you can do this. Come out of fearful hiding. The Lord is with you. As Scott reminded us from the words of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that God's perfect love casts out fear. Walk in that love, friends. And allow God to grow you into a spirit-filled leader and a spirit-filled family. I love how after a couple verses after this, in uh, verse 34 of Judges 6, we're told, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. I'm going to read that part again. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. That's his family. The Abizarites were his family. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he blew the trumpet and his family followed. Lead your family in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, don't forget that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is the same Holy Spirit that's in you right now. I'm going to say that again. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave 
is the same Holy Spirit that is in you right now. Again, it's not a matter of can I do this, it's a matter of will you do it? Will you do it? Will you allow God to do this in your life and in the life of your family? Remember, this doesn't mean that we won't ever have any fear, but it does mean, I believe, that we move ahead trusting in God's presence through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. As David says in Psalm 143, verse 10, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. May his good spirit lead you and your family, our families, Peckway Church family, on level ground. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Father, I pray that, that as we address this, as we look at our families, from the vantage point of your eyes, from the vantage point of your word, that we would be reminded that your gospel transforms us. It's not just a one-and-done transformation, but we are continually being transformed. You have saved us, we are being saved today, and you will continue to save us. And that includes our transformation, the transformation of our families. Father, fill each and every one of us afresh with your Holy Spirit. I just want to pray a blessing over the families of this church that we would be refreshed with a fresh wind of your Spirit blowing over us. That we would walk in health, that we would walk in joy, that we would experience new life in our families as we walk in obedience to you, tearing down old patterns and rebuilding new patterns together. And we pray that in all of this, the name of Jesus would be lifted up and Father, you would be glorified. Thank you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, Chris, for that message today. You know, I believe that God wants to uh, transform families, and the way I believe that he wants to do that is through his church, this body. And uh, Pastor Chris said that um, we need to acknowledge patterns and take action. And I think that we could all agree um, that perhaps the moral climate of our world, spiritual climate, whatever we want it to put in that place, the old patterns, they need rebuilding. And so, uh, you know, we can, we can do that. We can help kids and families rebuild their lives by rebuilding or building new patterns. And so, um, you know, that we can do that today. Um, we have a couple of opportunities to help families do that. Um, there's out in the lobby, there's um, some information about Backyard VBS. And we did this last year. It was very successful. A lot of kids came. Um, but this is just a, a very uh, safe place to, to be able to um, have kids come. They can come to your house, or you see Missy for all those details, but a great place that kids can come and they can find out about Jesus in a fun way, and then a safe place for families to start building relationships and getting to know one another. 
Um, so you can sign up in the lobby, or you can also text the word group to uh, the word on the screen there. You can text group, sorry, not the word, but 717-872-5679 is the number that you can text. For more information about that, Missy will get to you, our children's uh, our kids director, and she uh, will reach out to you about that. The second opportunity that we have uh, is you might have read in your bulletin, um, but also seen the table out in the lobby as you came in. There were some envelopes there. And uh, this is to help the students go to student life in North Carolina. And this is, they're going to have a service project as well as a time of, of worship and study. And uh, so they'll do that. And then the afternoons, they're going to do some kind of community project work. And so um, there's going to be 42 people going total. There's 36 teens and six adults, but they need your help to get there. And so what you do is there's numbered envelopes on the table, numbered one through 100. Those represent a dollar sign, okay? So one is one dollar, five is five, 100 is 100 dollars. Pick up the envelope, put, put the money in there. You can uh, stick it in the, um, I think Julie said her youth box or her own Julie Landis. You can give it to her, Julie Landis, or put it in her, her mailbox out there as well. And if you don't know any of those places, then just uh, you can drop them in the mailbox by the office. So those online, if you want to also, you can contact us and we can get you in touch with how you need to get that there as well. But these are all ways of being generous, that we can generously give to the Lord. And so aside from those things, we also can bring our tithe. And so I just want to remind us of that again today. There's envelopes at the back of the room if you want to do that in person. You can also give online. I'm going to have uh, our host put that in the chat window there. You can give today that way as well. So, But thank you so much for being here today, worshiping together. It's been great to be with you, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a great day.